Well, good morning. It's so great to see you. I just want to echo what Pastor Chuck has already said this morning. We're grateful you're here with us today. In fact, if you're a teacher, an administrator, a coach, if you serve in our school system in any capacity, if you don't mind, give us a little wave real quick. Hold your hands up real quick. Would you show some love? We're so grateful. So, so grateful. We love that. Well, if you haven't met yet, my name is Bobby and I get to serve as one of the pastors here And I'm so honored you're here today. If you're watching online, thanks for being with us as well. Uh, Today, I want to talk about something that personally I've walked through, and it's one of those things that I haven't walked through just once, but it's one of those recurring themes. I don't know if you have this in your life or not, but here's one of the things I'm convinced of. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today would be a great day to have a full-on meltdown. Do you agree with me? Nobody woke up and rolled out of bed and opened Facebook and asked that question, what's on your mind? Nobody said, hey, today I'm just going to lose it, right? Nobody says, today's going to be the day that I lose my temper in the the checkout line at Kroger. Uh, Today's going to be the day that I get stuck behind that person that's supposed to have 10 items or less, but they've got 20 items or more in there and they choose to still pay with a checkbook. Yes, amen. Thanks, Nathan. Right? Nobody is like, hey, today's going to be the day that I lose it at lunch today where, where I say to my waiter, waiter or waitress, hey, we just got out of church. It was a great day. And then when something goes wrong, you just lose it in the restaurant. Nobody says that. Nobody says this is going to be the day that I tell other people they're number one in the church parking lot on the way out today. Nobody plans to have a full-on meltdown, and yet they all happen in our lives, don't they? There are those seasons, there are those moments that we just feel overwhelmed. There are those seasons where we feel like there's more to-dos than than we've got energy for. There's those seasons where like, man, I just need a minute. I need to catch a breath. Uh, Pastor Chuck and I have a friend that uh, tells this story. He says a few years ago, he was in New York City. Uh, for some meetings. And that evening, he was having dinner with a friend. They had great conversation. And somewhere around the end of the meal, he started feeling chest pains. And being a guy, he's like, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to act like it's not a big deal. And so they kept talking and kept talking and just felt more like weight on his chest. And so finally, he says to his friend, I think I'm having a heart attack. And so his buddy asked for the check They rush outside, get a cab. They head over to St. Vincent's Hospital, which is the closest one to where they were at. And he goes into the ER thinking, man, I'm having a heart attack. And so they hook him up to all the stuff and they run the blood work and all the things. And the doctor immediately said, or initially says, hey, I I don't see anything, but we'll keep you overnight just to be sure. And so he stays overnight. And sure enough, the next day, they said, we don't see anything wrong. And so we're going to discharge you. And so he wrapped up his trip in New York, headed back to Nashville. And he says, within that same year, two other times, same thing happens. He ends up in the hospital thinking he's having a heart attack thinking he might die. And so he ends up in a cardiologist appointment and the cardiologist runs the whole battery of tests and the cardiologist comes back and says, look, your heart's healthy. Your heart's healthy. What's in, right? That thing inside of you, it's healthy. Here's the problem. Two things. One is you've got acid reflux and you know, the symptoms of that can feel like a heart attack, but it's a, a very sim- easy thing for us to treat. But the second problem, he says, much harder is you've got too much stress in your life. And this cardiologist looked him in the eye and said, if you don't deal with the stress, you could end up back here with a real problem. 
And man, I, I, I've seen so many people walk through that. I've seen so many people that, that are like, man, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Everything's okay. I can handle it until they can't. And they end up in a place where there's just so much weight and there's so much strain and there's, there's so much stuff that they end up externally. They try to act like, man, I've got it all together. But on the inside, it feels like just one thing could set them over the edge and just one thing could cause them to implode. And because of that, they're walking around like a ticking time bomb. And the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do if you feel like, man, life is, the demands of life are just too much? What do you do when, when at the end of the day, you're like, man, I don't know how I made it. What do you do when you end up driving someplace and 45 minutes after you got there, you're like, man, I don't even remember. Did I stop at the stoplight? Did I, right? What do you do in those moments? If you've ever felt that kind of stress, if you've ever felt like, man, there's just too much to do and I don't know how I'm gonna do it. If you've ever felt cynical and empty and like you're just, you're just suffocating. If you've ever experienced relationships that are, are fractured because of all the stuff in your life, you know a little bit what it felt like to be Moses. In fact, if you have a Bible, I want us to look at a really, really practical passage in scripture. And it comes from Exodus chapter 18. And so if you've got a Bible or the Bible app, or if you have the church app, there's actually a tab in there that says message notes and you can follow along. But in Exodus chapter 18, we see a real life snapshot of somebody that has unbelievable potential. I mean, if you were to line up the people in history and ask the question, who did amazing things for God? I hope Moses would be on your list. I mean, Moses was an unlikely leader. He had a, a, a speech impediment, so he didn't feel like God could actually use him. And yet God partners him with Aaron, his brother, and, and they go to Pharaoh. And if you know the backstory, the nation of Israel had been in slavery for 450 years. The Bible says that every year slavery was harder or harsher than the year before. And the people were just, just under this great uh, oppression and God raises up Moses to be the leader. And so Moses sees amazing things. In fact, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And there's these moments where Pharaoh says, okay, I'll, I'll let you go. And then he reneges on that. And he moves back on it. And then Moses goes back, to, back again. And, and so there's all these things that happen, including the plagues. One of the cool things about the, or powerful things about the plagues is uh, people in Egypt, they had all of these false gods. They had at least 10 false gods that they would worship. And, and every single plague that God sent combated one of those false gods as God's way of flexing his muscles, God's way of saying, I am not like these other gods. I am in charge. And God used Moses to do all of that. So by the time we get to Exodus 18, Moses is this incredible leader. He's done unbelievable stuff, but there comes a moment where he begins to realize that he's been pushing the limits. He's been doing more than he was called to do. He's been running on, on this razor thin level of energy and God uses this unlikely person in his life to help him to see that there's actually limits in our life. If you have your Bibles, look at Exodus 18. In fact, if you're able to, if you don't mind, would you stand just for a second as we read today's scripture? Here's what it says in Exodus 18. And I love this first verse because a lot of y'all know I grew up in Mississippi. So I like this first name. Here's what it says. Exodus 18, verse one. Now Jethro, we don't have any Jethros here today, do we? Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses heard everything God had done. Now, just think about that phrase for a second, everything, all the plagues, the burning bush, the parting of the Red Sea, everything. There's a lot in that one little word. 
He heard everything that God had done for Moses and for his people, Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Again, slavery, oppression, 450 years. Verse 2, after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons, one that was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in the foreign land. Verse 4, and the other named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him and said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. Thinking about that, Moses' lifestyle didn't enable his wife and his two sons to live with him. He's like, I, I've got this leadership season. I need to send you all away. That should be a warning sign. Verse seven, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and they went into the tent and Moses told his father-in-law, here's that phrase again, everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all of the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord saved them. Now listen to the response, verse nine. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, who rescued you from Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the land of the Egyptians. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I pray for every single one of us that has ever felt like we just, just have too much that we're not able to do. Help us to find uh, rest in you today and help us to find some strategies to live within limits. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So essentially, Moses' father-in-law shows up. Moses' father-in-law brings Moses' wife and his two sons back to him. And when he shows up, Moses is like, let me tell you everything that's happened. Let me tell you how God showed up. Let me tell you how God flexed his muscle. Let me show you what God has done. And when Jethro hears that, he's blown away. He's like, this is amazing. God's done incredible things. Uh, Moses is a great leader in this moment. But once Jethro's there and he sees Moses in action, he says this one little phrase, that I've been thinking about for several weeks now. He says this one little phrase down in verse 18. He says, what you're doing is not good. And when I first heard that phrase, I thought, man, how, how do you go from uh, uh, Jethro praising God for all that he'd done? How do you go from Jethro being like, Moses, you're an incredible leader. You've done these amazing, how do you shift from it's unbelievable to what you're doing just isn't good? And what we see in Exodus 18 is that Moses was pushing the limit. So what do we do? What do we do when we're in that moment? If you're a note taker today, I'm sort of a point guy. That's the way my brain works. And so I want to give you just walking through this passage, some practical ways for us to live within limits. And it starts with this. Number one, if you're a note taker, we've got to deal with individualism. We've got to deal with individualism. What I mean by that is a lot of times we buy and believe our own press. For Moses, Moses has been describing, here's everything that God has done through me. God appointed me to be the deliverer. God appointed me to be his mouthpiece. God told me to go and raise my staff in the Red Sea part. God told me to go and confront Pharaoh. At some point, it was easy to, for Moses to believe that life revolved around him. And so what happens in Exodus 18 
is the nation of Israel is over a million people at this point. They're traveling to the promised land. They're on this journey where they're traveling to this place that God had promised them. And along the way, they're trying to figure out how do we live as God's people? I mean, for 450 years, they've been slaves. For 450 years, they've been living for Pharaoh. And now God's calling them out and he's sending them to this place. And now they're trying to figure out what does it look like for us to live for God? What does it look like for us to be our own people? What does that actually tangibly, practically look like? And as you can imagine, when you've got a million plus people that have been in slavery, they're on their way to the promised land. And you know how the story goes. It ends up being a 40-year journey. Somebody said if, if it was Moesha instead of Moses leading, they would have gotten there faster because ladies would have stopped and asked for directions, but that's the living Bible version. Close enough. That's a terrible joke, but thanks for the courtesy laugh, Rick. I appreciate that. Um, but you can imagine there's a lot of drama on their way to the promised land. There's a lot of tension. Anytime two or more are gathered together, there's going to be conflict, right? And so all of that conflict would come to Moses. Listen to what it says in Exodus 18, verse 13. It says, the next day, so after Moses has received his wife and his kids and been hanging out with his father-in-law, it says, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as the judge for the people. So this, is, this has become his job description. He's sitting as the judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. In other words, on their way to the promised land, there's all of this tension, all of this drama, all of this stuff. And Moses raises his hand and says, I'm going to be the guy. Hey, you've got a problem? Bring it to me. Need advice? Bring it to me. Hey, you need some next steps? Bring it to me. And I think probably it started out as a well-intentioned thing, but over time it became overwhelming. So Jethro sees this. He sees all these people lined up. He sees Moses answering and answering and answering from early in the morning to late at night. And so Jethro says a few verses later, this is not good. And the reason why this was not good is Moses was trying to do it all himself. I think there's this unspoken pressure that a lot of us feel that we feel like, man, I've got to do it all myself. We live in this culture that says, man, you, you, you've got to just, you, you just got to man up or woman up. You've, you, you've, got to, you've got to suck it up. There's this sense in our culture that, that celebrates your individual contribution. You should do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And the problem is internally, we, we've got this limit. In other words, we've got unlimited potential, but we do not have unlimited energy. And all the moms said... All of us have unlimited potential. We're made in the image of God. We've got his fingerprints on our life, but we do not have unlimited energy. And so Moses had somebody in his life, Jethro, that could warn him. What if you don't have a Jethro? What, what, what if you don't have somebody that could speak up and say, this isn't good? Let me give you some symptoms. In her book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Ruth Haley Barton has a chapter that lists some of the warning signs. Let me, let me rattle these off to you. If you would like the list, just drop me an email at bobby at sugarhillchurch.com and I'll send it to you later today or tomorrow. But listen to some of the, what would be the symptoms that you're pushing the limits? You're trying to do too much. Symptom one is irritability or hypersensitivity. In other words, something little, something, something that's not really a big deal ends up becoming a bigger deal than it ought to be. Have y'all ever been there? Have you ever, you know, get up in the morning and, you know, I, I follow the ancient Christian practice of first thing in the morning, brewing a cup of coffee. Anybody else there? 
and you get to the Keurig and it's not turned on yet and then you turn it on and it's got to heat up. And I know some of you are praying against me now because I do a Keurig. I know, I know it's not, I know, I know. And then you get it heated up and then it's blinking because there's not enough water and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, right? So hypersensitivity is when little things end up being a big deal, right? They end up ticking you off. Here's a second sign that maybe you're beyond your limits is when there's a sense of restlessness, sense of restlessness. You can't turn it off when you're trying to sleep at night. You're, you're thinking about it over and over again. And, and you're trying to watch a movie. You're trying to be with your significant other. And you just, you're just restless. A third symptom is compulsive overworking. This is when there's no interrupting work. You're always thinking about work all the time. In fact, Brian Robertson says this, that overwork is this decade's cocaine. Wow that there's a sense of our identity that we find in work. He says, the problem with the name. Here's another symptom, emotional numbness. This is when you can't feel anything, when, when, when you can't appropriately celebrate when things are good, and you can't appropriately mourn when things are bad. You're just sort of flat emotionally. You just don't feel it anymore. And another symptom of, of living beyond our limits is when we have escapist behavior. And escapist behavior could look like a lot of things. It, it could be disconnecting and just walking out of the house. It could be uh, uh, an unhealthy uh, version of binge watching something. It could be a substance abuse. It could be looking at stuff that you shouldn't be on the internet. It could be uh, 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 some other relationship that you're pursuing. I mean, it could look like a lot of different things. And the way that you would know that this is beyond the limits is when it's unhealthy, when it's, when it's something that's taking life instead of giving life. Another symptom is when we're disconnected from our identity and purpose, where we just wake up and we don't feel a sense of why we're on this earth. And so we just go through the motions and we just, we just try to get by. Another symptom is when we're ne neglecting our basic needs, like exercise or eating healthy or getting enough sleep at night or even just going to the doctor and having a checkup when we should or the simple task. If we can't take care of the basic needs in our life, that's a warning sign. And some of us live with these warning signs. We're just like, man, I'm just going to man up. I'm just going to dig deep. I'm just going to keep pushing. Another warning sign is when we're hoarding energy. In other words, we're, we're so afraid that we're already so tired that we don't want to uh, engage with anybody else around us. And so we just become reclusive and, and back away. Another one is when we neglect the simple spiritual disciplines of our life. These are all warning signs that we're trying to do too much. It's sort of like a car. I remember my first car, and uh, the first time I got it on the interstate, I, uh, like every, I got my driver's license when I was 15, and that's kind of a little scary now that I think about it. So I had my driver's license at 15, had this, this car that I thought was so cool, and I got it on the interstate for the first time. I kept pushing the limit, push, and then there came a moment where the car's like, shake. have you ever had one of those cars where it's just, you're like, this is a warning, right? This is a warning. This is a warning. And uh, sometimes that happens in our life. We can't sleep, and we're restless, and we're short-tempered with the people around us, and we're going off for something dumb in the, in the, the to-go line at a restaurant, and, and, and all of this stuff is shaking around us, and we don't pay attention. And so if we're going to live a healthy life within limits, it starts with number one, where we begin to deal with our individualism. We can't do it all ourselves. Are y'all tracking with me? This is so practical from Exodus 18. Jethro doesn't have a best-selling productivity book. He doesn't have a course online, but man, 2,000 years before Jesus was born on this earth, Jethro is giving great advice. So it starts with number one, dealing with, with this individualism. Number two, we need to design an infrastructure 
We need to design an infrastructure similar to me standing on this podium today. There is more underneath the surface of the podium than what is on top. What I mean is there's support systems in place. There there's studs underneath here and on here, but that's a bad joke. No. <laughs> the jokes get worse as the morning goes on. But there, there's a system in place that supports this. And we need that in our life. I mean, one of the signs that we're living beyond our limits is when we try to do it all ourselves and we don't have the basic support system in place. So listen to what happens in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replies to him. I, I call this 18, so 17. Moses' father-in-law replies. He says, what you're doing, it's just not good. And so here's a couple of reminders is you can't do it alone. You're not meant to. You're not meant to do it alone. Another reminder is you can't do it all. Another reminder is that you can't create more time. Some people call it this way, that time is a zero-sum game, which means for every yes that we say to something, we're essentially saying no to something else. You can't manufacture more time, right? And so what happens for and we'll see this in just a minute for Moses because of Jethro, as he begins to talk about what is the way for you to do this? What, is there a way to provide some structure underneath the surface? Moses, is there a way to support this? And I would say for all of us, we need that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we make such a big deal about small groups here at our church. That's the reason why we keep talking about even things like yesterday where, where 100 or so people were here to work on their marriages together in a group context because we believe that we're not meant to do all of this alone that we believe that we're not meant to try to do everything ourselves, that we need people in our lives. For Moses, he had Jethro, but for you and I, we need that kind of system. We need to embrace what is the season of life I'm in? What is the calling for the season that I'm in? What are the demands that are on me right now? What I mean by that is that all of us are in different stages. And so we've got young moms in the room. We've got retired couples in the room. We've got people that are in their prime when it comes to the workforce. We've got people that are settled in who they are. We've got students. We've got uh, senior adults. We've got everything in between. And so the realization is to say, what is my season right now? What are my demands right now? What are the actual limitations of my life right now? And then what are the support systems I need to put in place? Because if we don't realize every yes is a no to something else, we'll be tempted to say yes to everything. I mean, a lot of us, we, we're, we, we mean well, and so we say yes to another extracurricular activity, and we say yes to another meetup, and we say yes to another responsibility at work, and we say yes to uh, this other volunteer commitment, we say yes, and before we know it, we've said yes to so many things that essentially we've said no to the things that are most important. I'm not saying you shouldn't say yes to everything. I'm not saying that you should go on Facebook today and say, Bob, Pastor Bobby says no to everything, see ya, I'm done. But what I am saying is that some of us have unintentionally said yes to so many other things that we've said no to experiencing God's peace in our life. We've said yes to so many things. We've said no to being able to have a meal with our family around the table. We've said yes to so many things. We've said no to having quality time with our spouses. 
We've said yes to so many work things that we've said no to being able to be fully present with the people that are around us. We've said yes to so many extra things in our schedule that we've said no to journeying with a small group of people and learning about God and praying together and becoming our support system. We've said yes to so many things that we've said no to the things that really matter. Does that make sense? And again, I don't mean to sound heavy. I'm just, just saying that, man, we've got to be intentional. What kind of marriage do you want to have? What kind of kids do you want to raise? What is your hope and dream when, 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 you're, when you're 65 or 85 or 95? What are the stories you want to be able to tell? Do you want to be able to tell the stories of where you thought you were having a heart attack, but you really weren't? Or do you want to tell the stories about how you weren't able to be at the games or be present with your family? Or do you want to tell the stories about how God gave you confidence in your season? So it starts with number one just dealing with our individualism. Number two, for us to begin to design the infrastructure. What do we want our life to be? Number three, determine your influencers. Determine your influence. So Moses' father-in-law looks at this and says, Moses, you're, you're trying to do all of this yourself. This is an Old Testament teaching. This is Jethro saying, essentially, delegation. And so here's what he says to him in verse 20. He says, teach them his decrees. So he starts talking about, man, I want you to raise up other leaders. I want you to tap into the people around you. I want you to learn to build a team around you. He says in verse 20, he teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to believe. He's like, pour into them. Find your crew, pour into them. Verse 21, but select capable men from all the people. And here's sort of the job description. Uh, men who fear God. Men who are trustworthy, men who hate dishonor, dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the tens. Verse 22, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Think about that last phrase they will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. We need that, don't we? We need that. I'm gonna butcher the quote. There's a quote that is so powerful to me. It says, be kind to everyone you meet for they are all fighting a battle. I probably didn't get it exactly right, but I think that sentiment is so true. We all have a load, don't we? Even the people that are smiling all the time, even the people that seem the nicest, every single one of us have this load. And, and so, so Moses' father-in-law says, look, you've got to find some people that will make your load lighter because they will share that load with you. Who is that for you? Who are the people that are in your life that can help that load be lifted in your life? Whenever we talk to middle schoolers and high schoolers, we talk a lot about friends. And we say every single year to our students, you need three kinds of friends in your life. You need the kind of friend that sees potential in you. That's the kind of person that says, man, I see what God is doing in you. We need the kind of friend that will come alongside us when we're feeling like we can't do it. We're going to give up. And they'll come up beside us and just put their arm around us, help us find strength. We also need a friend that loves us enough that they will look us in the eye and tell us the truth. So as we think about this, 
determine our influence. Who are the kind of people in your life that you want to influence you? Who are the kind of people that you want in your, that are going to help you seek after godly things, after the good things, after the calling of God? He says, look, find these people, invest in them. And then here's the last part. Number four is we live a life within limits. Is that ultimately we get to display the impact of God to the world around us. Man, if you read chapter 18, it's unbelievable. I mean, here's Jethro in the Old Testament coming up with this master level of delegation. Here's what it says in verse 24. It says, and Moses listened to his father-in-law. Hello, that's a, that's a good place for father-in-laws to say amen. I just wish they would listen to me. Well, Moses apparently did, right? Moses apparently did. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. All right, I'm taking notes, right? I, I've got unlimited potential, but I got limited energy. I can't do it all myself. I can't do it alone. I'm not meant to. That's not my calling. Verse 15, uh, 25, it says, and, and he chose capable men from all of Israel, and he made them leaders of the people, officials over the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the tens. Verse 26, and they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So Moses took the advice and Moses puts it into practice. And what ends up happening is other leaders begin to come to the service. What ends up happening is he begins to share the load so much so that when you get into the book of Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a, a season years and years after this encounter where Moses is able to point back to this moment, the moment that he listened to Jethro and the moment that he began to live within his limits and the nation of God began to flourish. See, I think a lot of times we think limits, ah, that's negative. We think limits, man, I don't want any limits. I mean, a lot of times we think, man, if I didn't have limits to money or time or energy or space or all the things, we think life without limits would be better. But here's the truth. When you look in scripture, more often than not, the blessing of God is actually found in the limits. And it's through the limits that we get to experience the person of God, our identity of God, and God does even more than we could imagine. Does that make sense? Isn't that true in your work? Hasn't there been times that you've had limits at work and somehow through those limits, a greater idea came out? Hasn't that been true in your family where there was limits, you had more, more to do than the calendar allowed, and at some point you finally had some limits and you said, you know what, on the other side of it, the limits were a blessing. I mean, how many of us, when COVID hit at first, were like, holy cow, man, we can't go out anywhere and all this stuff. And then how many of us a few weeks later said, man, what a blessing to be at home with our families. What a blessing to see people in our neighborhood actually walking around outside. There's actually blessings in the limits. There's so many examples of that. This morning, let me give a quick shout out. My mom is here. Mom, if you don't mind, would you stand just for a second? Everybody say hi to Nancy S. McGraw. Give us a little pageant wave over here. She's in town all the way from the big town of Olive Branch, Mississippi. And uh, she watches almost every Sunday. And some Sundays she thinks I did okay. And then some Sundays she'll give Zach a shout out, but not me. But I'm not bitter. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But my mom is all four foot 10. She used to be four foot 11, but she's shrinking, so pray for that. Um, she's four foot 10. She was born massively premature. She weighed less than three pounds when she was born. She wasn't expected to make it, and so the 
the hospital told her parents, hey, if you've got a pastor or somebody that can come. And so a pastor type showed up and prayed with them and prayed over her. And uh, part, of, part of the downfall of being born so premature is one of her hips didn't fully develop. And so when she was in high school, she had to have uh, this massive reconstruction surgery to her hip. And so can you imagine being your senior year of high school in a full body cast for months? And her dad, my granddad, would just take care of her and, you know, carry her, literally carry her to the things that she needed to do. And man, she's had a lot of hardships in life. She's, her family was fractured at a young age. Her mom was, did some terrible things. Lived through, you know, this hard senior year. As a result, on the other side of that surgery, one leg shorter than the other leg and just the physical limitations of that. When I think of somebody that could have been bitter, I think of my mom. I mean, there's so many things that were hard. But to this day, she's one of the sweetest people on the planet. Every time I go home, she taught school for a couple of dozen years. And every time I go to Walmart or Kroger or any place with my mom, you cannot get in and out because there's people that come up and they remember, do you remember me, Miss McGraw? And even in our limitations of physical limitations, even in our limitations from a, a fractured family growing up, even in the limitations of losing my dad, her husband, over a dozen years ago, she still shows up every day. She still has a big smile on her face and she still serves the people around here. And so I just wanna encourage you, instead of seeing limitations as a curse, could it be that God's gonna use whatever you perceive as limitations to be a blessing in somebody else? And maybe you're never gonna, maybe you're never gonna be on the front of a magazine and maybe you're never gonna you know, be some superhero with the cape. Maybe you just need to be reminded that not every hero wears a cape and not every single person that makes an impact has unlimited uh, resources. Could it be that God's gonna use whatever the limits are in your life to bless other people. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? Man, this morning as we pray together, I just, I just, just am heavy hearted for so many families in our church that, that are just pushing it so hard. And when our leadership team prays together, we often pray for our families and we pray for our individuals in our church that, man, God's using you in such mighty ways but we don't want you to burn up. We don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to self-destruct. We want you to embrace the season that God has you in. We want you to be able to say no to the right things so that you can say yes to the most important things. So maybe this morning you wanna pray and just say, dear Jesus, help me to have some fresh eyes. Jesus, would you help me to embrace the limits in my life? Maybe you don't have a Jethro in your life. Maybe you'd pray for that. Hey, is there somebody, God, that you'd put in my path that could help just encourage me or speak truth to me? Maybe today there's some of you that there's never been a moment that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. So as you heard Jenny's 
testimony today. Maybe there's never been that moment that you've settled that and uh, know that Jesus is not just a person, but he's your Savior and Lord. Maybe in this moment, you just want to ask him, Jesus, would you step out of heaven and step into my heart? Jesus, would you come and save me? Heavenly Father, we give today to you. Lord, help us to embrace the calling that you have us living in. Help us to live within the healthy limits of the season that we're in. And Father, in our limitations, would you help us to find our strength in you? Heavenly Father, would you help us to just lean in to what it looks like to live a healthy life within your limits so that we can see your blessing? And God, I pray for those that don't know you. I pray today they'd come to know you as their Savior and Lord, and they'd find their strength in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's